You're listening to Marketing Major at Josh and Mo, a podcast created for students by students who are curious about marketing. Welcome back to our listeners for another episode of Marketing Major. We've got a fun one today. Uh, we're sitting here with Onita and Webb from the University of Alberta. And I'm sure uh, they probably don't need much of an introduction. But just in case you don't go to the University of Alberta, we'll just have you both introduce yourselves and how you got into marketing specifically. Uh, so we'll start with you, Onita. Hi, everyone. Um, this is Onita Blankenfeld. I'm kind of excited because this is my first podcast. And my mom always told me I had a face for radio. So... Perfect fit. Um, so I am a lecturer in the School of Business. I teach marketing, but I've had a, kind of an interesting career path because I haven't always been in academia. I keep jumping in and out. Um, so I just recently returned three years ago, but I had a kind of a 20-year break, you could say, almost before that. And I guess if I think about how I got into marketing it was kind of organic um, due to life circumstances. I found myself in Helsinki, Finland in the early 90s. And at that time, Finland was just joining the EU. And I really wanted to work but my in addition to my studies, but my language skills were not good. But because Finland was joining the EU, they were really trying to drive English language business education. So I got a little job at a community college, which led to a job at the School of Business there. And because of that, I networked and I met people in marketing and that's how I got my first marketing job. But I'm actually a finance person, so it was it was really just a stroke of, of luck on my part. Webb? Hi, I'm Webb Dusom. Uh, like Anita, I'm a lecturer in the School of Business. How I got into marketing? Well, if you've been in some of my classes, you'll uh, have heard this story before. Uh, some people think it's kind of a hilarious story, but uh, when I graduated from high school, I did not immediately go to university, and so I took a few years off, and so some people say, well, what did you do with that time? And so I traveled quite a bit over that period, but I came from a um, family where music was very important, and so uh, I started playing the bass guitar, I think when I was six years old, maybe six or eight years old. And uh, some of my family members pursued it professionally. And so I came uh, home from uh, Europe. I was uh, traveling for a bit. And my brother, who's a professional drummer, said to me, we got this band and we're going on tour. Why don't you join us? I did for two years. So I spent a lot of time away from home, uh, traveling, touring. I probably played 250 plus nights a year over that period. And so I got used to performing because I was playing a lot. Anyway, uh, uh, after doing that for a couple of years, I realized that's not really what I wanted to do. But in, uh, in the meantime, uh, my father, who had also been a professional musician, was not at that point in time. He was actually an instructor at Nate. But, but anyway, he was still very involved in the, uh, in the music industry. And he started a, a small entertainment agency. So I got tired of being on the road touring and um, I came off the road and I got involved in this agency. And so I used to book national tours for recording artists from Victoria to Halifax and everywhere in between. And so would you say that I was, you know, trained to be a marketer? No, you know, but that's what I did every day. And so when you own your own company, which I did then, 
and uh, with my father, um, that's what I did every day. And so that's how I kind of developed, uh, you know, an acumen for marketing, but also a love for marketing. And uh, because marketing is about people. And if you really like people, and I really like people, it's where you got to be. Uh, I've actually never heard that story in your classes. I don't think. Yeah, either. I like it. Though. There we go. <laughs> we could so, probably just cut the the episode right here. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of music did you play? Rock and roll. Wow. Absolutely. Are you never guessed give that. us a little. Well, you know, maybe <laughs> you play from time to time. You Sorry. Play? Absolutely. Yeah. To this very day, I can do our intro music for this episode. Yeah, yeah for sure. Did you ever hop with the guitar? Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the next segment we're gonna do, uh, we're just gonna do this for fun, but we're gonna do a rapid sell. Uh, questions. So I'm just going to answer you guys or ask you guys questions. And then the first thing that pops in your head, you got to say it. It's supposed to be quick. So we'll <laughs> see how this goes. Uh, so the first one is um, what's good right now, which means like, what are you reading, watching or streaming? I'm reading The Power of Noon Chi. It's, Never heard of it. It's awesome. Everyone needs Noon Chi. So <laughs> it's a Korean version of emotional intelligence, which is fundamentally driven South Korea from being a third world country and from being a global borrower to a lender in 50 years. And it's about reading the room because if you don't have quick Nunchi, you're dead in the water. It's really interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I'll get the title from you later. I'd love to read that. Yeah. Uh, my world is, uh, is the, um, uh, maybe not quick enough, but, uh, but very dedicated transition to everything digital and everything analytics. And so that's really where I'm living right now. And, and uh, it's not just about the knowledge, but it's the way you think, you know. And so, so for me, the, the, the digital is not just a, a different platform. It's a different way of thinking. And so, yeah, that's where I'm at. Is there a book or a specific audio book that you listen to? Not really, you know. No. And, and uh, the reason why is that, you know, I've sort of made it my business to continue to be connected to industry. And so, um, you know, today I'm going for lunch with a guy who's a VP for a marketing research firm or an AVP for a marketing research firm. And that's where I get a lot of information is just by talking to people that do this every day and what are they up to and what's new and what's happening. And so it's great. Nice. Yeah. Hey, uh, we'll jump to our next question. Um, by the way, Mo, just before, before I leave that, I always tell students uh, is, is that you'd be amazed the people who will talk to you if, as a student if you contact them. Yeah, we've had a lot of luck with that, even yeah. for the podcast. For sure. Yeah, exactly. For sure. You know, people love to talk to students. And so, so if you want to find out what's going on out there, it's really not that challenging to be able yeah. to do that. That's, that's some great advice. Yeah. For the next question, uh, when you were uh, a kid, um, what did you want to be when you grew up? We'll start with you, Anita. I actually wanted to be a butcher because oh. my fa- this is really <laughs> bad. This is sad. My family was really poor, and I grew up in England until I was 10. And so we'd go to the butcher, but we never could buy the meat. We'd always be buying, like, leftover pieces. And I thought this butcher was, like, the Donald Trump, but he owned everything. And so I, I was like, I either have to marry that guy, and he was ma- married and also very old. Or I have to be a butcher. Cause I was like, then I could just walk into my own store and pick anything I wanted. <laughs> Clearly I did not become a butcher, but That's I do the, like meat. The first time I've heard butcher is the answer to that question. Yeah. <laughs> Webb. I didn't really have an occupation, you know, that I, I really wanted to be, but, um, 
And I always remember this because I think I was about 14 years old and I remember being in my parents' house and I real and I said to myself, there are three things that I want to do in my life. Number one, I want to travel. Number two, I want to be a professional musician, not long-term, but I want to do that. And the third thing is I want to go to university. And I, and I don't know why at age 14 I had that, but that was, I don't even know where it came from, but I had those three things. And so I was very fortunate to be able to do all of those three things. So I didn't really have an occupation picked out, but I knew I wanted to do those things. All right, so you can probably answer this next question then, because if you like to travel, where's your, where's your favorite place you traveled? Oh, boy. That's a hard question to answer for me. And the reason why is that, you know, there's just so many wonderful places to go. And, uh, you know, when I got married and my wife and I had two children, one of the things that one of the things on my list to do with my children is I wanted to, with them, discover my own country. And so I have driven literally from coast to coast. I've been in, I've, the only place I haven't been is none of it, but I've been everywhere, everywhere else. And so I think that that gave me, and but also my children, a different perspective on the country that we live in. So if somebody ever said to my kid, you ever been in Thunder Bay? Yep. You ever been to Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island? Yep. You ever been to Gander, Newfoundland? Yep. Been to all of those places, you know, and so, so that sort of Canadiana, you know, was very, not just because I'm Canadian, but because there's just uh, some amazing places in our country, you know, and it just kind of gives me a different sense of self. Well, I've been a bit of a gypsy. I've lived and worked in many different countries and I wasn't born here in Edmonton, but I would say my favorite place and the reason I'm living here is actually Edmonton. I love it. It's uh, it's affordable. It's safe. It doesn't take an hour and 50 minutes to get everywhere. Um, yeah, I actually chose to be in Edmonton. It, there was kind of a pivotal moment in my life when my, I was living in Finland. I had a great job, but I looked at my kids and I knew I ha had to think about how to set them up you know, pre-getting into university. And they were speaking four different languages, none of them you know, super well, but I, I just, I thought, where's the best place for us? And my favorite journey is always the one coming back here. So I've been to amazing, there's so many beautiful, amazing, interesting places in the world, but I love Edmonton and my favorite journey is always coming back here. Okay. Last one here. Uh, what's, what's your favorite brand? We'll get on the marketing train again. Well, I think most people know what my favorite brand is and my favorite brand is MEC, MEC, Mountain Equipment Co-op. I've been a member for a very long time, and uh, I have uh, walked about um, between uh, the Grand Tetons in Wyoming and the Kluwani and the Yukon. I probably have walked about 2,500 kilometers of backcountry, and so that's the kind of space that they're in in terms of the gear that they sell. And uh, when I walk into the store, I look around and I say, yep, this is me. And that's why I like it. That's yeah. awesome. Plus, it's a cooperative, which I support as well. And they have a very large uh, sustainability agenda, which I'm very supportive as well. Mm, brands. I, you know, I love a lot of brands, but if I think about one that I've consistently used that I really think is the OG, if you think about social responsibility and sustainability and a fundamentally good product, is Body Shop. So if you think about an Erotic, 
she's so ahead of her time in saying we're not testing on animals and we're having these simple containers and you can bring it back and I'm sure people just thought she was some kind of hippie nut and now everyone's on that bandwagon but I use body shop products like every day and it doesn't matter where in the world I've lived that's been the, the thing so I'd have to say body shop but I love I mean there's so many great brands out there for different reasons but maybe it's goes back to what we often talk about in class is that you look for brands that align with how you see the world. And so I would say for me, Body Shop would definitely be one of them. I feel like Webb, you touched on this a bit, but having like a multidisciplinary background, like how much do you think that is impactful for marketers to understand, you know, more than just their marketing buzzwords? Totally, you know, and and marketing is is in a lot of ways a ubiquitous skill, you know, and I don't think people sometimes associate that with doing marketing, right? And so what did I learn from playing 250 nights a year on a stage? What does that have to do with marketing? Well, part of it has to do with self-confidence, right? But the other thing is, is, is that I learned how to interact with large groups of people. I learned how to uh, present myself. I learned how to perform regardless of how I felt. If I got a bad cold or I have the flu or, and you learn how to do that consistently every single day, you know, and, and, and so, so when I uh, opened, uh, or sorry, when I went to work in this entertainment agency, you know, initially because I was a musician, what I did was I, you know, was, I would deal with a number of other agents across the country and they would say to me, look, you know, I've got one of my bands coming down to Edmonton. This is where they're playing. Go check them out. So I would go check them out. And initially what I would do is I would stand there as a musician and evaluate the band based on their ability to play and the song selection and all of those kinds of things. And after a while, I quit doing that. And what I did instead of looking at the stage is I turned my chair around and I looked at the people. Because what's going on on the stage above a certain minimum wasn't really that important. It's how were the people reacting to it, right? You know, because I saw lots of great bands that people just were would not respond very well to. And some bands, quite frankly, that weren't that good and people loved them to death, you know. And so it's really not about the product. And I turned around my chair around and looked at the people. So, so the reason why I say that is that most jobs have a marketing element into them, you know, and, and, and so if you learn that marketing is everywhere, you know, then it gives you a different sort of sense that if you work in finance or HR or any of them, there's always an element of marketing because we're always dealing with people. We're always trying to persuade people about something. We're always trying to market something in terms, in terms of an idea, et cetera. So it's everywhere. And Onida, you not only lived a very multidisciplinary life, you also lived an international life. So how have those experiences kind of helped you be a better marketer or a better marketing teacher? Well, I think, of course, the more you're exposed to, the richer your knowledge base becomes. And I think also it's a matter of taking best practices. So I've worked in a bunch of different industries from construction to IT to investment management to mobile phones. And it's kind of interesting. They're all facing the same challenges, but they have such different ways of going about fixing everything. And I think it's because, for example, if you're in construction, you 
probably are mostly looking through an engineer's lens. And engineers figure out solutions differently than musicians, for example. And so I think that that's definitely been to my advantage that I've been able to kind of peek through other people's lenses and get an idea of, okay, this is how they're seeing the world. This is how they're solving problems. And to go back to the earlier question about the importance of understanding the other disciplines in an organization, I think it's very critical. I think for so many decades, marketing has been relegated to this position of being kind of this off-to-the-side creative group. But fundamentally, I mean, marketing's role in an organization is is critical because they're the source of business intelligence. They're closest to customers. They're closest to competitors. They're responsible for driving growth. And they're also the guardians of brand equity. And so they have to know what the other you know, departments or other parts of the organization are doing because if you're creating this, you know, here's our deliverable, here's our unique sales proposition, this is the promise to the customer, you have to make sure that it's more than just a cool campaign and words. But if, if you're saying you're promising something, operationally, is that organization delivering? Because sometimes it isn't. And, you know, marketing really, at the end of the day, has a huge role in driving revenue and growth into the organization. So I feel like from a marketing point of view, it's not just enough to be focused on content and messaging and, you know, being customer centric. You have to also know what about the other side of the equation? Is this organization delivering on the promise? Because if it, if it isn't, then no marketing campaign will help you. So, so if, if marketing is so crucial to an organization, why is it still one of the first things to go when times are tough and when a company's not making money, they usually lay off marketing first? I feel, I, I do feel that still, for the most part, if you look at the C-suite and who's sitting in it, it's the number of people. And I get it because I, I have a finance background and I get it. And sometimes, unfortunately, marketing is seen as superfluous and add-on. And to be honest, I think especially when times are tough, that's when you really have to be in, injecting money into marketing because your competitors are probably doing exactly what you mentioned. They're pulling back, and that's when you need to be doing everything you can to be top of mind, staying in the evoked set. Um, so I think it's I think it's a it's a culture thing. A lot of corporate cultures are still governed by the guys that are running the numbers, and they just don't have the the connection or strong a connection as they should with the outside world, especially the customers. Couple thoughts. Um, thought number one is is um, I always tell people that you can look as an organization as marketing uh, as an investment, or you can look at it as an expense. And so, so the people that sort of get it that you know, mar- if you, if you look at it as marketing as being an investment, you know, then you realize that you're investing in your brand. You know, uh, and those and some of that's intangible, right? Because you don't always see, you know, a result particularly immediately. And those that uh, see it as an expense will do everything they can to minimize it. And and so, uh, but I think people have, uh, you know, become a little bit more uh, in tune with marketing because marketing has become a little more quantitative. And so, getting back to uh, Anita's point, you know, if you can talk to finance people as a marketer in their language. 
it's very helpful, you know, because you'll have more credibility. And, and uh, I think as we get better at measuring some things about marketing, I think it's easier for marketers to make a case because I'm not sure that, you know, marketing is always the first thing to get cut back. I mean, there's, there's other, other, other things as well. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, where does the revenue come from? I totally agree with you. I, I know in my marketing career, if I had a dollar for every time, you know, a CFO or CEO had said, oh, you guys in marketing, you're just a big resource drain. And the connection came for me when I was in business development because I remember one day, I think I just kind of pushed me over the edge and I just looked square in this guy's eye and I said, hey, buddy, um, you know what? Nobody around here eats until I kill something. So you want to say I'm a resource drain again? Because I can just go home now. Oof. Yeah, because <laughs> I was, I, yeah, because it was, I mean, that that's the reality. And I mean, sales is part of marketing, but the reality is if you work for a small organization and I'm the person that's bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars, it's it's not operations that's it's allowing everyone to sit around in their cubicles all day. So, and I mean, I know it's a team effort, but at the end of the day, I don't think people can have the right to always say marketing's a resource drain because if you're on the front line kind of busting your chops, driving revenue inward, I don't see that as a drain. Yeah, it's so. hard because marketing is a bit more all-encompassing than people think too. Because I is. think that like marketing and advertising, sometimes people like interchange those. So when you talked about how like people, I've heard too that people in advertising agencies, they sometimes leave because you don't have your hands in the product. So sometimes you might be coming up with a really cool creative concept, but what you're selling is actually not really living up to the standards it should be. So I think that's like when I think of what I want to do in my marketing career, that's one consideration that I think will play a big role is like, how do you get in a marketing role that you actually have the ability to affect both the product and then how you're like speaking about it too. I was also curious, is there any trends that you see in marketing that maybe today like you disagree with or you think that aren't really as as effective as they could be? I, I'm really curious. I don't have the answer, but now we're talking so much about artificial intelligence and how fundamentally it's going to affect how organizations and customers interact with each other. And I just, maybe I'm just so old-fashioned, but I, I don't see a world, at least not for a long time, where people just don't have to fundamentally connect with other people. And sure, could you automate some parts of marketing? Like you can have, you know, a call center, you can have a bot deliver stuff. But fundamentally, fundamentally, at the end of the day, what really drives a big part of value is connection. And Are we really just at some point in the future only going to be connected to machines and technology? I feel like it's over it's being overstated i think there's a role for it and things for sure are going to change but i fundamentally think there's that marketing isn't going to become an automated function that's a great point i guess just to pick up on that i think that um, i think that you know technology is a double-edged sword i think that there are some amazing honestly amazing things going on in the world but I think the limitation of that is that, you know, we have information-wise a very fast-paced, I mean, we're all over-connected and, you know, our brains are trying to focus on three or four things all at the same time. And we got 
one eye on the phone and one eye on the laptop and one eye on, you know, and we got, you know, six or eight different, uh, you know, windows open on our computer and we're flipping back between all of those. And I think that, again, there's, there's some amazing stuff going on, but the other side of the sword is, is that I don't think that people spend enough time reflecting on what all this means. So I got all this stuff going on all at the same time. And my great fear is that, is that when we do that, we don't get the big picture. You know, so the people who are the really deep thinkers contemplate and they think about things. Well, if your brain is moving on hyperspeed from the time you wake up till the time you go to bed, people don't do that. You know, and so the people that are really able to connect the dots, like really get the big picture, I fear that those people are going to become fewer and farther between because we're trying to do all of these things all at the same time and we kind of miss what the bigger picture is, you know, and those are the people that really, those are the disruptors. Those are the people that really get it. So I think we're missing that piece or we may miss that piece in the future. Is there things that you do like in your daily routine to help you see that bigger picture? Because I've heard that like, especially with technology and stuff, there's often like burnout that people experience and you have to like set boundaries or things that you like to do like I'm assuming maybe for you it's like exercise and that helps you find you know like sometimes you get thoughts in your head that you like see different things or you feel more relaxed or well I think the uh, I think I, I I agree with you 100% but I think it has to be a, <clears throat> I think it has to be a purposeful thing right and that's probably just a factor of of me maybe with age and and uh, but you know about um I don't know, eight or nine years ago, I bought um, a, a rural piece of land. It's about 70 kilometers south of Edmonton. And it's bush. So I went out there with a chainsaw and I literally bushwhacked. And I put myself a little cabin in there, etc. This is totally off the grid, totally unserviced, right? But that's, those are the times when you say, okay, I want to pull the plug here and I'm just going to do this, you know, but I had to do it purposefully, right? I have to purposely, physically disconnect. And so when I'm out there, the only thing that I hear are the birds. So, you know, so when you're used to all of the noise in your head all of the time, right? So go sit there for two or three hours and listen to the birds. Well, it's amazing what comes into your head when you do that, you know, and, and so, but if I hadn't done it purposefully, I don't think I would, I would find it very challenging to get off because there's just too many distractions. So that's one of the ways that I sort of purposefully, you know, did that because that sort of allows me then to think about stuff. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I think for me too, I feel like one thing that human beings need is a connection to nature and the outdoors. And um, I also tend to really try and spend, even in the winter, as much time as I can outside, whether it's just walking the dogs or just just being out, hearing birds. And, um, and just, you know what I think it is? I think it's just having time to think about stuff. We don't give ourselves any time to just process things. We're just making, we, we live in a very much a, a society where we are getting lots of sound bites lots of quick visuals, making quick decisions. But there's something to be said for just 
also just being slow and doing, you can be doing tasks, but doing tasks we're allowed to think like it's, you're just washing the dishes or you're doing some ironing, you're walking a dog. And I think that's, that's become the new luxury. That's truly luxury is having time to just think about because sometimes we make decisions and then after we were like, hmm, I wonder if the decision would be different if we'd had more time, but we don't allow ourselves. I feel like it, maybe this is just in North America. Being busy, overworked, I haven't taken any holidays in three years. It's a badge of honor here. Maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe we should be a bit kinder to ourselves. And thinking. Yeah, it's kind of seen like a weakness if you take off time and stuff Yeah, like, that. like I've never had a sick day in five years. Well, that's amazing, but you're probably walking dead, you know, <laughs> 90 of those days, you know, but like you just, you know, there's something to be said for not being a quitter. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like our... Our, our lifestyle maybe in North America is not as healthy as it, as it could be. Okay, so just to kind of uh, wrap things up here, um, if, just if we were to look five to ten years down the road, um, how would you see the whole marketing world changing? And as a second part of that question, how would that be impacting your guys' teaching in marketing? Hey, I may not be on the planet in five years. I'm kind of old. <laughs> so I might not be teaching. But if I am, <laughs> I would say one thing. Of course, there's tons of new technology. Digital's much bigger. Analytics are becoming huge. Metrics are everywhere. But fundamentally, I notice because I taught 20 years ago and then I'm back. Um, one thing that's shifted, and I think it's because of technology. People just don't have connection with one another anymore. So I see the student body I have now, the level of connection is different. And I, I don't want to blame it all on technology. I'm not a Luddite. I'm not anti-technology. But I feel like to be successful in marketing, people, um, students who are going to become employees, as well as organizations, need to wrap their head around how are we going to form connections and I fundamentally, and that's why I'm reading this, this book that I'm reading, I fundamentally think it comes down to what can we do to nurture our emotional intelligence? How do we read rooms? How do we respond to others? There's already so much like information out there that's showing that we're, we're, we have too much clutter, information clutter, and we're doing as much as we can to block things. So I read an article recently which said that almost 20% of people globally block ads on mobile platforms. And organizations are like, look at how much we're spending on digital. And well, if 20% of the audience is blocking you, this is not good. And also even just simple things like, for example, because now, especially like the younger generation, the kids that are five, six, and seven now, it's really that iPad tablet generation. And they're showing that their brains are being restructured, that they're not learning to make appropriate eye contact with people. You're so used to looking at a screen. So, of course, when you don't make appropriate eye contact, you're not able to read the nonverbal aspects of communication, which is huge. So if marketing is all about getting connections, creating relationship, driving engagement, showing how, hey, we could do a value exchange and I want to have a relationship with you. If there's declining levels of emotional intelligence, it, whether it's coming from a corporate point of view or a marketer's point of view, this is not good. And the digital, AI, all the analytics, all the metrics will not help you. So I'm really curious as to how 
organizations will find a bit better balance because that's going to be critical no matter what going forward. For organi- the organizations I feel that will be the most successful from a marketing point of view will be the ones that really understand how to get com- connections. And we're not just talking about likes or follows or people leaving comments. It's like, do people feel like they're in a relationship with you? That's pretty interesting because like you think back to what marketing used to be, it used to be more of the connection, you know, more organic. And then it went technology and I almost see it going back to what it used to be down the road. I feel like it has to, especially in some industries, like maybe there's certain industries where people don't want interaction. We just want to click our way through and have an arm's length relationship. I'm, I'm with you when I need you, but I don't want to hear from you in between. But I still feel like there's lots of room in a lot of industries for it to be so much more than that. And for organizations who really want to get to that next level of success, they're the ones that are going to figure out that the true things that really drive relationships with people. And it's not going to be technology and machines and digital stuff. I don't feel like it will. Well, thank you. Well said. I guess what I do is, is uh, I go back to our, um, basic understanding of marketing revolving around consumers. So if I want to figure out where marketing is going to go in the future, I go think about the consumers. Where are they going to be three years, five years, 10, 10 years from now? And, and so are they going to buy more online? Sure. You know, um, I mean, I think we sort of know all of that, right, to a certain extent. But to me, I think what's changing, and a lot of this for me is very exciting, is people's orientation towards consumerism. So Anita talked earlier about the body shop. People want to buy brands, you know, that align with their values. You know, and and so, you know, what of those, which of those values is going to be most important, you know, will drive a lot of what the marketer does. So you know, sort of so, so, you know, back in my day, for example, I, you know, I see a lot of my friends, you know, for example, that, uh, you know, uh, they'll um, buy a condo in Phoenix, right? Because they want to get away in the winter. Fine. But there's also a group of younger consumers that says it's more important to do than to have. So I can experience Phoenix anytime. I don't have to have a condo do that right and so that spawns the airbnb and that spawns the uber and that spawns uber and all of that stuff right you know so to me i just follow the consumer so where is the consumer going you know and so if the consumer is more mindful you know the the internet and the technology to me is just a channel right but the key thing is where 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 where's the consumer going you know i mean you've all heard it a million times the you know the wayne gretzky analogy you know you know, it's not where the puck is now. It's, you know, it's, it's where you think it's going to be in you, right? And so that's the challenge for the marketers to figure out where the puck's going to be. And, and, and the rest of it is, is, just, uh, is just a way to facilitate that. That's all. So how do you both see, like, your perspectives on, on these changes affecting the way you're teaching future students? In marketing the one thing I, I hope to deliver in my classes now and going forward is is for people to have relationships with each other most of the students and I know I'm speaking as a student myself most of us don't remember the stuff we learned in class 
but we learn, we remember the conversations we had with other people, the ideas, sometimes the challenges we have, say if you're working on a group project and it's not going well. And so what I would like to, to bring to class is, is fundamentally bringing people together to have experiences where even if they, they take one thing away, even if it's nothing to do with marketing, then it's a value. So for me, I feel like I'm kind of on a mission to to get people to interact more because I, I look at classes and you see people always sitting beside the same people. And it's interesting, one of my classes right now, there's two guys who they just happen to be put into the same group and they said they've been in classes, a class together for the last four years, but they didn't know the other one's name. And now it's so cute. I see them sitting together and they're talking to each other all the time. But like, it's funny, we go, th we're all like in our little silos. And really this place, whether you're in marketing or computer science, or it should be about coming together and sharing ideas, whether they're about marketing or not. So I feel like I'm a, hopefully a catalyst for people meeting each other and sharing ideas. And so that's, it's not really specific to marketing, but that's what my dream is. You know, one of the things that people like about social media is, is that, uh, is that social media, even though it's electronic, you know, is pretty successful at creating communities. You know, you know, when you got your friends on Facebook, et cetera, and it's very good at connecting like-minded people and so on. Right. And, and, uh, so, you know, uh, the reason why I say that is, is that, you know, if you can create a classroom community and play to that strength, right. Uh, as Anita says, you know, the storytelling that goes on, you know, that's often what people are going to remember. Right? Is they going to remember? I mean, uh, I read an article recently that said probably a year after a student takes a course, they probably will remember less than 25% of what was taught. But as Anita says, what they will remember is they'll remember those little tidbits, right? And uh, uh, I'm uh, teaching a marketing research course right now, and I had a woman in my class as a speaker who uh, has a data collection firm. And uh, she was talking about all the projects that she had done, right? And a couple of the projects that she did were in the social marketing space. So she talked about, uh, you know, uh, doing one around uh, a project around um, um, sexual assault and these kinds of things, right? Well, you know what? So I, 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 I carved off one point on my midterm exam and said, what did you remember most about her presentation? She spoke 45 minutes about marketing research and she spent three minutes talking about these projects that she did what did every student say on the midterm nothing about marketing research but everything about the story right and that's what people in that's how that's how people get engaged and if you want to get people excited about being a marketer you know that's what you remember those kinds of stories fundamentally too if i could add one thing i feel like even though i'm not a trained teacher but i have had, you know, part of my career as a teacher, being a teacher, I guess, is that fundamentally what education about is about building confidence. Anybody can learn to do anything, but so many of us falter at any stage of our education because we just don't feel confident. So I feel like whether you're teaching marketing or how I teach, getting back to kind of what do I, would I hope to be doing in the next five years in kind of teaching, I would hope I would be the person that could make other people feel confident because when people feel confident, then they have a can-do attitude and that's when learning happens. doesn't matter what discipline you're in. Mm 
still, I know I've stumbled with that in my own life, sometimes being, you know, scared of, oh my gosh, long division, will I ever get it? But once you get over the hurdle, because someone's like, you can do this, it's not even hard, or you can write a full sentence, I feel like confidence is such a big part of education and we don't spend enough time on building confidence because when people feel secure, that's when the mind opens and stuff goes in there. Do you have any uh, quote of the days you want to? Uh, that's it. Usually I do a quote of the day. Oh. I'm, I'm not going to try to paraphrase that, but yeah, that was a quote of the day. Perfect. Nice. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. All right, well, yeah. Thanks a lot for coming on, Onida and Webb. That was a lot of fun.